0: Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and I am so excited about so many things for this episode. First off, it's our 30th episode. Holy smokes, next episode is our one year anniversary. Can you believe it? The second thing I'm excited about is that this week's episode is with podcaster extraordinaire, Amanda McLaughlin. We are discussing the Old Kingdom trilogy, aka Sabriel, Lyriel, and Abhorsen by Garth Nix, which I believe is one of the most underrated fantasy series ever. There are very few spoilers in this one, so I recommend listening even if, nay, especially if, you haven't read the series yet. Amanda grew up with these books, and I just read them recently, so it's a very fun discussion. Amanda is such a talented and kind member of the podcasting community. You may know her from such podcasts as Spirits, Join the Party, and Waystation, or maybe from the podcasting collective she founded, Multitude. Multitude is such an amazing resource to podcasters everywhere, so if you have a podcast or you're thinking about starting a podcast, check out Multitude.Productions. There's a link in the show notes. They have so many amazing resources on their website, and you can even hire them for consultations. This actually leads me to the third exciting thing, which is that we are working on getting transcripts for all of our episodes. Finally, thanks to the resources on Multitude's website, I finally figured out how to get transcripts up and running for pairing. So we now have a full transcript of episode one. From here on out, we'll be working backwards, so the transcript for this episode will be posted very soon, if not today, then in the next couple days. Forgive me as you listen to this, I'm traveling, probably on a plane, working on that very transcript. We're very excited to hopefully make pairing more accessible to a wider audience, so thank you to Amanda and Multitude for your expertise. The fourth thing I'm excited about is that we just posted our first mini-episode on our Patreon! This one is free for the public so that everyone can check it out and see what it's all about. This month's topic was difficult food and wine pairings, so if you want to learn what wine to pair with sweet and spicy foods, give it a listen! These mini-episodes will range from deeper wine education to episodes about topics we couldn't get to on the show itself to history rants from Winston. From here on out, they will be available just for our $15 and up patrons, and for $15 a month, not only will you get more pairing, you'll be thanked as a producer in each episode, alongside our advanced producer, Mara Zobrist. And hey, speaking of Patreon, we want to thank our newest patron, Alison Turi. Alison, Mara, and all of our patrons are braver than Sabriel and smarter than Liriel, so if you would like to join them or just check out this free mini-episode, visit us at patreon.com pairingpodcast. I also just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have been reaching out via email and social media these past few weeks. We love hearing from you. We love that you're sharing pairing with your friends, (laughs) sharing pairing, and we love seeing some new reviews on Apple Podcasts. We are so, so grateful for all the love we've been getting these past few weeks, and we're sending it right back at you. One small warning before we dive in. We do briefly discuss suicide and depression in this episode. If you are struggling. I encourage you to seek help and call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit their website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Without further ado, here is Episode 30, The Old Kingdom Trilogy, with Amanda McLaughlin. absolutely thrilled to have here with me the amazing podcast goddess person, uh, (laughs) Amanda McLaughlin of Spirits, Join the Party, and many other wonderful projects. Hi, Amanda.
1: Hi, I am very happy to be here. I think I've been talking to you since before you started this show about how much I want to talk about Sabriel and the rest of the Old Kingdom trilogy
0: series. Yeah, I think when we recorded the Tolkien episode for Spirits, we were talking about it already. And it just took me a an embarrassingly long time to finish the books, but I just finished them all on my honeymoon and so I have a very fond feeling in my heart for them yes. and wanted to and wanted to strike while the iron is hot, so to speak. Uh
1: can we talk for a second about how great it is to read on vacation?
0: Yes. Oh my god, it's so great. And I actually I listen to all of them on on Audible. Oh nice. Yeah, and Tim Curry narrates the <gasps> I knew the this trilogy, but I have to listen. It's so good. I mean, you can you can imagine that he just is the most amazing, one of the most amazing performers in general, but also like specifically for these books, I feel like he was perfect the right amount of like
1: dark of gravitas. And,
0: yeah, exactly. Like he brought gravitas. He brought humor. He brought like weirdness. And it, it was really, really good.
1: That's amazing. I really love reading on vacation, not just as like a chance to sit down and do one thing and read uninterrupted, which I rarely get yes. in my daily life. Um yes. But also I form really strong <laughs> memories of where I read the thing. Absolutely. Um, so like I read... A bunch of um, Tana French, like Irish detective mystery novels uh-huh. um, on vacation in Peru. And uh, like every time I see the name of one of those books or their cover, I remember like the, you know, restaurant I was sitting in or the hostel or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, I really love uh, doing this. I'm glad that you brought such great books on your honeymoon and I hope that they, uh, they measure me up. Me too.
0: They really, really did. And so the reason why it took me so long to, to finally finish them is that I read Sl- Listen to Sabriel or Sabriel. He Tim Curry says Sabriel.
1: Yes, I also looked that up on Garth Nix, the author's uh-huh. website. Um, he's Australian, yeah, and so he which... says Sabriel, Lyriel, Clariel, right?
0: And I. That was so surprising to me because I was, like, looking into, like, doing a little bit of research for this. And I was like, wait, he's Australian? But this this world feels so grounded in, like, England.
1: I don't know his, like, growing up story. Yeah. I know that he served in the Australian Army. Okay. And I think lives in Australia now.
0: Okay. He could be, have lived in England or be of English descent in some right. manner or capacity
1: but it's very arthurian. It is.
0: For it sure. it is for sure. So yeah, so maybe we should talk about the the kind of premise of of the books because I mean, I think a bunch of people are familiar with the books, but maybe not quite as many as some of the other things I've touched upon, like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Well, it's my personal mission in life to make sure that everybody who's aware of fantasy books has read Sabriel. Yes. Uh, so Spread the word, Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I basically mentioned every five episodes on Spirits. Yeah. And to this day, we'll get tweets from people um, every so often being like, oh my God, I never knew anyone else knew about <laughs> those books. So it's very exciting. Amazing. Um, do you want to take a stab at it? Or should I?
0: Why don't you you get started, and then I I am gonna jump in maybe with some of my own thoughts and uh, some some wine pairing things that I've thought of.
1: Heck yeah! So Sabriel is a necromancer, meaning that she can communicate with and bind and kind of reckon with the spirits of the dead, both here in life and in the realm of death which takes the form of a river that kind of passes through eight different gates and has nine different parts. Yeah. Um, but she's a special kind of necromancer called an abhorson, or her dad is, when we open up the first book. Right. Um, and that is the person and the sacred bloodline basically charged with protecting this realm the old kingdom which is the name of the series uh from the dead because the unruly dead always want to crawl back to life and they're always trying to get back they can possess people's bodies there are these like powerful entities the greater dead that can take their own forms in life and wreak havoc. So, um, the the Abhorson, so Sabriel's dad and later Sabriel, mm-hmm. uh, uses a set of seven bells to bind and to uh, control the dead.
0: Oh yeah, and I wanted. I, oh, I meant to make a list of. Do you think you can think of the bells off the top of your head? I'm trying to. I don't think I can think of all of them off the top of my head.
1: I know that I brought up Wikipedia in case I forgot, but amazing. yes, I have all seven. <laughs> okay,
0: amazing, great. I remember the first one is Rana and that's and that's the sleepy bell the sleepy bell yeah, yes. as, as i like to call so, it so yeah
1: the uh the bells of different sizes they go from very very small the size of a matchbox to so almost the size of your hand and uh, sabriel wears them across her chest in like a bandolier yeah. um that looks almost like i would picture i don't know like anything you wear across your chest like a messenger bag but instead yeah um on the front the bells hang it's like a way more badass messenger bag it really is and if the bell sounds it has an effect on the world they mm-hmm. are like magical and you know items than Themselves, and they have real power. So the Abhorsen wields them in a particular way. Like they can use different figurations, you know, like configurations of swinging them and ringing them, different patterns, um, sometimes ring them together to do like an especially dangerous but effective move. But the bells want to sound on their own. Like the, yeah. the bells are like driven to act. And that was one of the moments I remember really grabbing me when I first read Sabriel. And I thought like, oh, wow, this is not like a magician with a wand and the wand is inert unless it's used yeah. you know, by the wielder. These are, I don't know, in communication with the magic and the world around them and they have their own wills. So yes, there is Rana the sleeper, there's Masrael the waker. So mm-hmm. that, um, that brings whoever is ringing the bell further into death, but it brings the person that listens to it or the spirit into life. Right. So there's Kibbeth the walker, which can make the dead move or mm-hmm. force them to like walk according to what you want them to do. So the Abhorsen can be like, hey, go and then use Kibbeth to send the dead further into death. Right. Um, Dirim or Dirim, the speaker can uh, either take away or give uh, speech to the dead. Mm-hmm uh Belgier, Belgair. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Tim Curry thinker. says
0: Bella I think he Bel-Gyre? says Belgier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that some- makes sense.
1: Something like that. B E L G A E R. This uh-huh. is bringing back so many embarrassing memories of me in like elementary, middle, high school and college <laughs> when I would find myself saying out loud for the first time words I had read as a child um or had only their, you know, heretofore read and uh this is bringing it all back. I have
0: I have a really embarrassing story that's not exactly like that, but in I think it was like my sophomore year of high school, I was doing a project on Descartes. Oh yeah, and I took Spanish and I spoke Spanish and I'd never heard of this guy before, and so I, as I gave my presentation on him, I I called him uh, Descartes. And I mean, that's how it looks. right? Right? Yeah. And uh, and my I remember my teacher was super nice about it, but like afterwards he was like, "And yes, Descartes," and I was like, Aww. "Oh."
1: Yeah, I was in a high school debate club, like speech and debate, and we would have to quote like moral philosophers and people. Uh, And so I learned just from the people around me how to pronounce like, you know, Sartre and Nietzsche. Uh I'm sure I'm saying them all wrong right now. But yeah, I was always very sure to have someone else say the name before I said it or else I'd be embarrassed.
0: Yes. No, I always have difficulty with both French and German pronunciation. And I'm just like, I'm just going to say something and hope it's right. You know,
1: yeah. With French, just pronounce the first half. You're probably yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly. Just just leave (laughs) out the last half.
1: (laughs) I've actually been watching a lot of uh, anime recently, um, Uh and sometimes I'll do it dubbed if I'm like cleaning or cooking and listening at the same time. Sure. Um, which I know is like you know I don't know passe.
0: You got to do what you got to do.
1: I appreciate that in a language that is like transliterated into English, the way it sounds mm-hmm. most of the time, you know, the the um, tr- transliterations match up really well with how the characters are speaking. Yes, um, in in Japanese, so I'm always like, oh, thank God, there's no like French. We skip over the last four letters right. because, right, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, these final three bells. So, Belgare, the thinker, mm-hmm. um, restores or removes memory. Mm-hmm. So, this is important because as as soon as you die, it's sort of like, you know, atrophy. And you start losing aspects of yourself, your memories, your personality. So, if the, um, you know, Abhorson in question is going to step into death and... Try to speak to someone that recently died, for example, like Sabriel does in one of the first scenes in the book. Uh-huh. Um, you might need to use this bell to help the spirit of the dead remember how they were killed or what they were doing when they died. So cool. And then the final two are sort of the ones with the most airtime, apart from Rana, I think. Yeah. Um, which you know sends uh sends the one that hears it into sleep, mm-hmm. but Sereneth the Binder. Mm-hmm. So this controls the dead directly and like binds the dead to your will. So using Sereneth with Kibith, for example, would bind the dead to your Will and then make them walk further into death. Right, and then Asteriel, Asteriel, A- Astarahel,
0: I think he says, or Astariel. A star, I L sounds right. It's funny because right. this is this. Is, I, I we're coming from the opposite experience of like I only listen to it, and so I have no idea <laughs> what, how they're spelled. And so, and you having read it, I mean, they're they're made up words, and so right, and so obviously it can be it can be whatever. But I think I think he said a star, a hell, or a star, I L. Astariel, it looks like Raphael. So Astariel okay, so sounds right. These
1: like lived in my head for like 18 years yeah, or yeah. something. So right, it's so exactly. funny. Yeah. Um, so Astariel is the most dangerous spell. It's the weeper, the sorrowful. Um. So it doesn't just send those that hear it far into death, but also the ringer. So you yes. only ever use it when you're in a serious circumstance. And we do get to see it used in these books Um. where the, the ringer knows that they're going to have to sacrifice themselves potentially.
0: Because once you go that far into death, it is very hard to get back. Very hard to get back. Awesome. So, thank you, thank you for going through all of those. That was a good refresher for me as well. This is one of the things that I was thinking of, and I love the rules of magic in this oh, yeah. series, and it's really interesting. And we can talk a little bit maybe later about like the difference between charter magic and free magic, which I find fascinating. Um, but part of what I love about the whole concept of the bells is I love anything that involves music. Oh, yeah. In magic. And I kind of think that music is maybe the closest thing to magic that we have in this world In, in many ways. It's quite magical to me. And so like to think about like the different bells coming together and like the different tones and everything and like dissonant chords and etc cetera, etc cetera. like that I just I just love that
1: yeah and I know that the word frequency is a little bit yes. uh, like hippy-dippy be like oh like you're vibrating on yeah. different frequencies man no totally but in this case like <laughs> you know a sound can affect the world physically yes. in a way that is not evident you know like like to right. the to the seeing right. eye or whatever yeah. so this I like I, I just really love physical systems of magic or magic that feels really grounded in like you said rules and systems um, yeah. so for this one like Nix has said in interviews um, the, the author mm-hmm. that he really wanted to think of a different way of like governing magic um, and so thinking about instruments that magic wielders could use bells came to mind because he read somewhere that bells had names like in churches they yeah. would name the bell yeah um, and he was like oh wait no that's interesting and that was kind of his jumping yeah, off point.
0: That's super cool. And and that leads me to to one thing that I wanted to to talk about which is there it does seem like Nick's pulls from so many different like traditions and mythologies and so I'd heard of the series before, but what really inspired me to start reading it was listening to the Spirits episode about the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the concept of Egyptian afterlife. Yeah. And kind of that similarity of going through, I forget if it's nine different stages in the Egyptian afterlife or not. I'm fuzzy on the details there. But but this idea of like you have different like gates to go through in death. And I thought that was super, super interesting and actually inspired the wine that I am drinking tonight. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So I thought I think you'll find this this kind of cool. So this is a a dry muscatel. So muscatel is the grape from uh, Malaga in Spain. So kind of that southern tip of Spain. And it's very unusual to find a dry muscatel because they're normally either made into sweet wine or sherry. So they're mm-hmm. they're used in sherry production, and so they make sherry in Jerez, just to the northeast, and and that's where you find most moscatel. But moscatel happens to be. One of the, I'm I'm going to quote my boss, uh, Brett Zimmerman, Master Sommelier, who did this write-up about this wine. Um, and he said that this is one of the world's only remaining ancient, meaning genetically uncrossed, grapes used for commercial production, which is super Ooh. cool. And it's so old that we think that it actually originated from Alexandria in Egypt. And I was like, Hot damn. that is so freaking cool. I have never heard of... Egyptian wine before, like I'm. I, of course, obviously, they must have made wine, or and they, I'm sure they still make wine there. I just don't know anything about it, and I was like, "This is super cool." And so I'd been planning to to drink this wine or another uh, Muscatel for this episode because I was like, "I want, I want to make this connection." So
1: that is amazing. I was really proud of myself because I just happened to have wine at home titled "Wall of Sound." Oh my, that's the God. name of the wine. That is and perfect. I was like, damn, not only is there a wall in this series, yeah. that's very significant. There's also a lot of sounds. Yes. Um, but that that sounds amazing. I love that kind of idea of like tracing the the provenance back so far, but also yeah. the fact that it's originated somewhere else. And yet, yes. you know, everything about grapes, as I've learned from pairing, right. has to do with exactly where it is and when it exactly. is. Exactly. Um, and that's also very true of the magic and the kind of like world building Mm -hmm. in these novels um, because we are like we inherited a system like Sabriel and her generation and the readers coming in at this moment in time there is like an ancient history of The politics and magic and death and the governance thereof in this kingdom. There's like 2000 years of history that throughout the series we get to see different pockets of, which is so cool. It
0: is really cool. And that is one of the things that I that I love about the book is like as as you get into like the latter half of Lyriel and Abhorsen, the third book, you learn so much more about the history of the world that I loved because because for the first for Sabriel I was like oh this is really cool I really like the the mythology and the world building behind this but I don't really understand like how this came to be and I and I love that that he addressed it and yeah
1: and there have been novels since published so these are the three that I think of I call it just the the trilogy just reflexively because growing up um that's when I read them is when they were just coming out but there have since been two more books published one is called Clariel or I guess Clar- Clariel. Uh, Clariel or something. Yeah, uh, who, who knows? There we go. <laughs> we'll get Tim Curry to to tell us. Um, but that that takes place five or six hundred years before Sabriel. Right. Oh, cool. And I was like, oh my God, are you going to throw a prequel at me? Like, no, thank you. I just, I felt kind of yeah. weird about it. But reading it, it is, uh, again, like putting us right there in this moment that informs where Sabriel starts. Oh, that's so cool. So, sabriel is kind of living in like a unstable kingdom um so she is being schooled in the sort of like normal part of the world where their magic really is hard to use it's not within this kind of old kingdom right um but she has to go back to kind of help govern things and to step in in a crisis her dad is missing the dead are around yeah there are no more charter stones which we'll get to in a moment i'm sure right yes but um in clariel the Charter is in full bloom. There are Charter oh. stones everywhere. Magic huh. is strong. The tr- It's like in the kind of apex of this tradition of like governance of magic and building systems and infrastructure and aqueducts to protect people against the more unruly forms of magic. But people are complacent huh. and they are starting not to really care about the safeguards put in place for them. Huh. So it is super easy to kind of trace that line Ooh. between then and now.
0: Okay. I'm really excited because I haven't read Clariel Cl- or Clariel. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, um, but I am super excited. Maybe I'll start it after we're done here. Ooh, you should. I'm uh, I'm halfway. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if it's on Audible probably
1: probably um but yeah so the the charter i think would probably be be useful to explain here so the the charter is like a a never-ending matrix um so you can kind of commune with it it's like the source of magic it's it's you know, golden. It's pure. It is lawful, um, and you can kind of reach into it to pull out whatever you need, like plugging into an electrical socket. Um, if you know the the forms, if you've been baptized in the charter and have that kind of like fundamental connection to it, and then there is this idea of free magic, mm-hmm. magic that is outside of the charter, that's unbound. Yeah. Um. And they say in Clariel, actually, in a, a section I just read, that free magic isn't inherently evil. It's just unfocused and unbound and so you can tell that this is a society that was like this force is out there and we are going to regulate it so carefully uh like like freaking bitcoin or something you know or or like a a mining like mining a natural resource in a town or a, a principality where they can control the entire means of production um because it is
0: powerful stuff and they have figured out you know, established channels through which you can access it. Right. And this was something that was really interesting and confusing to me at the same time while reading the books is like the whole concept that, you know, when you hear free magic like that, that sounds like a good thing, right? It's free. It's like freedom is something that we associate right as a good thing. And charter magic is a little bit like that's a very specific thing and like makes me think of like, oh, writing up a charter, you know, and so... For a while, I was like, huh, that's interesting that, like, free magic is, at the time, I was, like, bad. But you're right. It's not inherently evil. It's just untamed. And I think that um, my favorite example, obviously, of a free magic being is um, Mogget. Oh, yeah. The uh, free magic creature that has been bound in the form of a little white cat. And his destiny is to serve the Abhorson, and has been doing so for uh, a long time. A long time. Yeah, we're not sure how long, but it's very long. It's a very long time. Yeah. And I am not going to say much more about him because there, the tension between or the tension throughout the books is like, is he going to be good? Because at any point, if he gets... Is he good or bad? Yeah. Yeah. Is he good or bad? Because if he becomes unbound, like we do see him in his kind of like free magic form a couple of times and it's very scary. But then he's back into his little white cat form, and it's like, oh, he's so cute. Also, being a cat person and a cat owner, there were so many points, like, listening to the book. And and Tim Curry does an especially good job voicing Mogget. Uh, I think he definitely has the most fun with Mogget. I'm going
1: to have to uh, find clips of this. It's so
0: good. It's really fun. And... There there were just moments where I was like, oh, my God, that is such a perfect like cat thing to say or like <laughs> a cat thing to do. And it's like I just love the idea of like this free magic, not good, not evil creature, just kind of like untamed, but but bound like that very much is a metaphor for me for like domesticating cats
1: yeah that's oh that's so funny (laughs) little lions
0: yeah exactly they are they're they're essentially you know free magic creatures who could be good or evil
1: but i'm i'm getting super excited sitting here because um a we're talking about this and i love it yeah yeah i mean so sabriel when we meet her is just finishing her like last year of of like finishing school so you Mm -hmm. know high school age roughly um and right and in it's in encelstria right yes in the non-old kingdom the new kingdom if you will where like we are muggles we do not have magic there's electricity
0: exactly exactly it very much feels like i don't know like 19 steampunk 20s maybe yeah something like that yeah but she and so that that like i guess
1: era or aura rather of um schoolishness really pervades Mm. um Mm -hmm. the second Mm -hmm. book lyreal seems like it's not very related at first but it's my favorite i think i think it's mine too um it's set in a library with a librarian, but like the most badass uh, form of librarian who is basically like a, a guard against, you know, the evils and uh, creatures that lurk in the archive. But that is all about somebody testing the boundaries that have been articulated to her, but don't really make sense. And and the whole role of the abhorson is like, this person is our Uh, last line of defense, like they have Mm -hmm. just enough of necromancy. They have just enough of free magic. They have just enough control over things that the charter would otherwise take care of everybody else. Um, And they, you know, they have to have somebody that's like, you know, just close enough to the edge to defend them. But throughout all of these books, there is a tension between, you know, who decided these rules? Are they right? And, you know, what do I do if they're not enough? So it, you're absolutely right. You know, what you said earlier that the the charter, like why does it have to be so um, set in stone, literally? Like literally, why yeah. is free magic bad? <laughs> um, and the fact is it's it's dangerous and like freedom is dangerous. Yeah. Um. So it's especially, you know, it's going to be different reading this in 2018 than it was in, in 2000 when I <laughs> for sure, originally for sure. came across them. Um. But that's a really fascinating kind of lens to have. If anyone's going to go check out the books, which I hope you do after listening.
0: I definitely hope you do. That just reminds me of- of the reason why it took me so long to to finish the books is that I read Sabriel and then when I realized that Liriel was like not from Sabriel's perspective I was like oh but I'm going to miss Sabriel.
1: I found I thought that at the end of every single book, where I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna miss this character, though." It, it's true, and we do see people again. Um, but yes. y- you're right that it's it's not Sabriel, and you're like, oh,
0: "Damn it! Come on! Wait! I want to know what happens." Totally. And and so we we see Sabriel in in the other books, but like as an adult. And uh, and I agree that Lyriel definitely is my favorite of the three. The way that Nyx crafts that storyline, I think, is really brilliant, and like jumping through time a little bit and having it from, from a couple different perspectives. And my favorite part is when, this is like small spoilers, but not really spoilers, I think, because you you get the book from Lyrial and Samoth's perspectives. Yeah. And for a while they're separate and then they come together. And what I really like is when they come together, you still get both of their perspectives. Exactly. And I, I love that because it, it would be easy to kind of like, and And both of their perspectives at once. You know, it's not like one chapter from Leel's perspective and one chapter from Sameth's perspective. it's it's both of them kind of simultaneously,
1: and they come from very different worlds. So kind of seeing the other through, um, their own eyes is really useful and funny because, like, we've been so kind of immersed in each of their perspectives that when they come together, you're like, "Oh my god, wait! These people, you know, they they do have confusion over you know basic words and concepts because they come from such different backgrounds." Yeah. Um. So it's it's really cool. And like I said, you know, jumping throughout time, like these books cover fully, I think, fifteen hundred years of time. um wow. In this in this kingdom, lots yeah. of different characters. Every book has uh, you know a different or multiple um uh, storytellers and. And it is all so good and and so yeah. necessary, which I really appreciate. Like it, it truly is the story of a world and the different people inhabiting it at different periods of time, which I don't think I, I wouldn't like identify that as something I particularly like. I'm very story driven. I liked, you know, following Harry through seven years of schooling. Um, right. But this just feels like the world is so different. And if it wasn't so different, if it wasn't so unique, um, if it wasn't so worth learning about, I could see how it it wouldn't work potentially. But all right. of Nix's books, and I've read three of his series, so not all, but quite a number, uh-huh. um, they're all so distinct and like in Technicolor in my brain um, because they just feel so real
0: they they really do and I think that's you you put it very eloquently in that like this is a story of building a world and we happen to follow certain characters through it while you know like something like Harry Potter is more about telling the story of this essentially one character and the and the people around him and the world kind of fits itself around his story and i think there is a distinction in in that approach and and i'm not saying one is better than the other but i i i think that garth nix's approach i i've seen that in from other authors and it's much less compelling mm. these books are utterly compelling and just really draw you in and that was just my, my, my two cents Yeah, there. no,
1: like I, I picture Harry Potter as like, you know, you're a, a character like chopping your way through the jungle, you know, like the world unfolds itself as Harry navigates it. And yes, yes. there are other perspectives and different chapters as we get, you know, f- further into sure, the series. Sure. Um, But for the most part, we learn things when Harry does or when Harry is about to. Um, But this really is, I'm like forming a thesis as we're talking here, but it really does feel like, you know, the Old Kingdom series is about people navigating systems and like people figuring out the business of like making and governing a world um we see kings you know we talk to people that um that make these rules we we are like starting out this journey in the you know perspective of the person charged with protecting the world from the dead and it is so big like all of the all of the problems really could be world ending and it's not exhausting because the the pacing is excellent and you know, it, it doesn't feel like there's no hope at any point. Um no. except when it's supposed to, and then you're like, oh no, wait, there's hope. And and it's very yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. good. <laughs> um yeah. but it, yeah, it, it's just like especially now, I don't know. I just sometimes I, you know, I think like, is this is this futile? You know? Like is, is this whole experiment right. of like self-governance, right? Or of coexisting with eight billion people on the planet, or of, you know, trying our best to live an ethical life, like are any of these things are they even possible? They're so hard. Like why are they so hard? But um but seeing people here you know face a problem that could so easily end everything and say all right well how am i going to rebuild or revise the systems behind me to make a new system in front of me uh, mm-hmm. i don't know i i love systems thinking and <laughs> that, yeah, that to yeah. me is is such a such a good thing to immerse myself in
0: absolutely and so i just wanted to to mention a couple things but one of the things is that so we talked a little bit about sabriel And or Sabriel, however you say it, and her being the abhorsen or becoming the abhorsen and just how intense that is to be thrust into that, Mm -hmm. like immediately as a child. But then there's also these people called the Claire and they are basically clairvoyant, Mm -hmm. I guess. I guess you would say they can they can see through time. They can see the future sort of somewhat. And and so that is where we find uh, Liriel living. And, you know, we encounter the Claire in Sabriel in the first book, but we really get a lot of them in the second book because Liriel is one of them. But she doesn't feel she doesn't have the sight, And so she feels left out. And so that's why she starts working in the library, which I absolutely love the library.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, it's so good. Yeah, it's Liriel so is... I think, 13 when we meet her. Um, I think so, 12 yeah. 12 or 13. And everyone else around her, it's sort of like, you know, you'd wake up one day and you have suddenly developed this clairvoyant ability that everybody else has. And it's a bunch of... Uh, predominantly women living in a, like, big city carved in the inside of a mountain um, with, like, a giant kind of spiral staircase and then many little inner staircases that lead, um, you know, up and down to the various, like, gardens and cafeterias and libraries and all of that stuff. Um, and this was so, like, I just fantasized about this when I was little. And I wrote lots of novels that were set in, like, a very, you know, very pale imitation of uh, right. of the Claire's mountain. But Lirial is older than most people and doesn't have the sight and feels so out of place she looks different to everybody else her mom is not there she's being raised by like a aunt that kind of hates her um yeah and you know or at least
0: she perceives her as hating her
1: right there's not a lot of warmth um and Lirial doesn't feel a lot of belonging uh you know whether she's she sort of has a mix of being you know ostracized a bit but also ostracizing herself um out of out of fear of you know recognizing the fact that she doesn't belong she kind of isolates and so she finds some belonging working in the library which like i was saying earlier um like there are large parties of armed librarians like roaming around this library she's issued a dagger when she gets her like waistcoat yes the head librarian like has a sword in her office like a real sword unsheathed on her desk so um the whole idea is like this society is again like more than a thousand years old there's all kinds of it's like a museum slash archive slash like um militia kind of all in one yeah um yeah. and only experts can navigate it so Lyriel immediately just like hungers for knowledge and starts knocking down the rules presented you know to her yeah which is so funny too because librarians you think of as as only enforcing rules in the sort of pop culture and imagining of them Um, but in this case she's like no I am a conqueror of knowledge also I'm bored also I'm better than what they think I am and like here we go
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely which I feel like I can relate to so hard even though I at least as a child and teenager and young adult was very much a rule follower but like the idea of living in this amazing library like badass library. That is a a life goal for sure.
1: It is so cool. And I also identified with Lyrial a lot. Like Sabriel was amazing, but I I didn't feel brave um as, as a kid and Sabriel definitively is. Oh, she's so brave. And yeah, and, and just seeing Lurial I also felt that a place, you know, like I also felt kind of bored in school, um, and, and would really revel in books specifically. Um, but also in libraries. Like walking into a library, I felt like, okay, this is one place where I know where I'm going, I know how to navigate it like literally and kind of figuratively. Um, and there's always gonna be more I might find my brethren here. Um and so it was just perfect. And amazing. Of course, I want to find it like the black book of bibliomancy, which is something that is exists in this novel. Um, and I wrote down because I just loved it <laughs> That's so. That's amazing.
0: Bibliomancy. I Love it, and so just one thing I wanted to mention about this this place where they live—it's called the glacier, isn't it? Yes. And and so there's there's at least parts of it that are very icy and cold, and so that made me think of something that I've mentioned before on the podcast, but haven't really gotten into very much. But ice wine or Eiswein uh, in German—that's one German word that I can pronounce, which is pretty much what it sounds like. It's it's a sweet dessert wine. Made from frozen grapes, from grapes that like froze on the vine, Ooh. and so they can they can make wine in kind of colder climates, as long as you're okay with it being much sweeter. And so my my favorite is uh, they they make ice wine in Canada, and one of my favorites is called Iniskilling, and so the which is just a fun word to say. It really is. Yeah. Inesculin from Ontario. So that's just my little recommendation. If you'd like to try some ice vine while reading about uh, Lyriel's time with the Claire in the Glacier.
1: That sounds incredible. I love it so much.
0: Yes. Also, Tim Curry, he, he's, he doesn't say glacier. He says glacier. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
1: like a perfume.
0: Yeah, right. Glacier by Tim Curry. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So yes, yeah, so that's so that's another whole subset world that we see in Lyriel, and I'm trying to think what else. And then there, I guess there's like the kingdom itself. We spend some time,
1: yeah, so uh, with with the royalty, we do, um, and kind of the the three like stakeholders here in the, again, like, kind of world ruling and and determining that goes on in the Old Kingdom are the Abhorson, the Claire, and then the Royals. Right. And also this class called the Wall Builders, who we get to know a right. little more. Right, 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 right. But we do get to see in uh, Lyriel and uh, in Abhorsen the kind of three groups come together and figure out what they're doing, what their specialties are. It doesn't feel quite as as fated, fated with a T. Right, like, yes. Um, you know, <laughs> like the end of uh, Sorcerer's Stone, where you're like, okay, well, you needed the items. to Do the thing. Or like Chamber right. of Secrets, okay. You had to pass like one, two, three. I love Harry Potter, by the way. I don't mean to pick yeah. on it. It's oh. just like the, the thing that comes to mind. Oh,
0: we, we all love Harry Potter here.
1: So there there are ways in which the – like. Different people have to be in the same place. Different items have to be around. That is a little bit D and D e, where like, mm-hmm. okay, here's a door. You must unlock it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I have a key. Thank goodness. Um, but also, it's like you you discover why that has to be at the same moment that you see it happening. Right. And so, as we kind of get to like, you know, there are things foretold in prophecy that happen in these books, and like prophetic pronouncements and problems that get reckoned with. And there is a way for that to appear really like trite. Yeah. Like there are nursery rhymes that end up being kind of true, you know, but in this case, again, like it feels so like grounded and, and it has such gravitas um, that we have like actual real flawed but amazing people who navigate these kinds of problems. And like only one a generation, you know, will will navigate a thing like this. And it happens to be the people we're following, but it just feels so earned to me.
0: Absolutely, yeah. There's nothing in the books that feels unearned or like out of place. Even though there's a lot of kind of anachronistic elements, right? Like every every time we we come back to Enselstir and and like there are cars, I'm like, what? This isn't. That's not. That's not in this world. But it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel out of place. It just feels like. Some of my favorite scenes are not to give things away. Diplomacy between the royals that we see in the old kingdom—they kind of have to come and
1: interact with interact yeah. with
0: the kind of state of Ancelstierre, and that I thought was really cool. And it literally is different worlds coming together.
1: And another example of how physical this magic is, where like uh, machine-made items degrade as you get yeah. closer to and cross into the old kingdom. That's right. So- Paper
0: will dissolve.
1: Right. I mentioned that my wine is called Wall of Sound because there is the wall. Yeah. It is a stone and also a magic wall that separates the old kingdom from Encelstier, which I did not know how to pronounce until right now. That's
0: how that's again, that's how Tim Curry says yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total <laughs> sense. Um
1: I in my head I was going like N en, or like Enkelstier. It could be. Anyway. But it's it's like a it's spelled it is physical it is manned with like a no man's land of like World War II style battlements and in some of the first pages of the whole series we see Sabriel cross this um, and she you know knows what to do because she is of both worlds grew up a little bit in the old kingdom and then was schooled in um, you know in, in the new kingdom. But uh, she has to talk to these soldiers, some of whom are like, "Yeah, it's weird that our telegrams don't work. Who knows?" You know, mm-hmm. and then and then like go home at the end of the day. Um, others of which know a little bit more, and either they remember or they, you know, were from the old kingdom or something else. Yeah. And so to see like paper fall apart, you know, as it crosses the border, or man-made clothes or um, whatever, like the soldiers' guns uh, jam, and so they use bayonets. Right. And and it just felt so like cool to kind of see that adaptation of people who don't fully understand what they're doing but they know enough to like adapt in the moment um i don't know it's just it's it's pretty cool
0: absolutely and and so sort of talking about how speaking of mythological elements that garth Nix pulls from i definitely see a correlation between the egyptian afterlife and his uh the world of the dead and With this, to me, the wall is very iconic of kind of a more kind of Celtic tradition. Sure. There is often, you know, you have to cross a wall to go into the fairyland. And the wall here reminded me a lot of um, Stardust. Which I don't know if you've read or seen by Neil Gaiman. Highly recommend it if you have not. That's the one that I have not read. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. It's it's very different from his other books because his other books are much darker. This this one is much more fun. And it's kind of like it's kind of like an adult fairy tale. It's very princess bridey in tone. Oh, cool. I also love the movie, uh, which came out. It's with Claire Danes. Oh God, what's his name? He plays he plays Daredevil now. Oh yeah, Charlie something. Hey there, Emma from the future here. Isn't it fun how I'm getting old and always forgetting stuff? The Charlie I'm thinking of here is Charlie Cox. Sorry, Charlie. Matt Murdock. Yeah, Matt Murdock. <laughs> Matt Murdock is in it. Uh, Robert De Niro, Michelle Fi- Michelle Pfeiffer is so amazing in it. She she steals the show. Um, so anyway, I highly recommend that. But there there is similarly a wall there that like. You cross it and depending on where you're coming from, bad things will happen or you just have to be careful what you bring with you across the wall. So that's very much a and I'm not and I'm not sure. Probably, I feel like Neil Gaiman probably wrote that around the same time. Like early two thousands, it feels
1: mid nineties, early aughts. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. Okay, okay. So maybe a little bit, a little bit after.
1: Oh no, I'm saying it feels like of a moment. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know which which came first. I, yeah, but, uh...
0: I don't know which came first, but but they're very they're very very different. But like that kind of trope of the wall and the wall dividing, which again in two thousand eighteen different. Yes, but the correlation or what we associate now with the wall is not necessarily. A good thing. But I I, I like this kind of fascination with like a magical barrier between like our muggle world and the magical world. And-
1: yeah and this is like the most extreme um form of the fact that this is like a a charter and a rule book laid down upon the land physically and in law um that sort of f- carves out a way for humans to exist in a world that includes magic mm-hmm. um so there are these things called charter stones where like big boulders like things stonehenge um that are placed almost like signal repeaters in a in a like telephone line um so like these little this are like cell phone towers you know Of uh, service into the (laughs) charter. Um, So they are. There are things that make the charter present. They are imbued with charter magic. They keep the dead away. Um, and what Sabriel is dealing with early in the first book is a broken charter stone. And mm-hmm. even from the beginning, we don't really know what that means because we're learning this world. Right. But when I went back to reread it, I like had a full body shiver. It, it's like it's like yeah. oh god no! Like this is it's it's like a flooded power plant or like an abandoned mall. Yeah. And you're just like oh no, life used to be here and now it's not. And they are placed all over the land. And they were placed. I mean, they're not placed there by nature. Like they were placed there by people in government um that, you know, when the charter was made realized that it had to like be be like a fine net, you know, um, just anchored all over the land. And the wall is like a giant charter stone. Um and it mm-hmm. is meant to keep magic in, to keep the dead out. And as you get further away from it and with no more charter stones in and that's why magic stops working. Right.
0: I love it. I love kind of like the science behind it. You know, it's almost like it it is one of the systems of magic, I think, with the most rules in a way that like are very clear and defined and understandable
1: yeah, it's, it's like, it's like communication, you know, where there's this whole like ether of like millions of words you could be using at any given time and you pull down the ones that you need and then that makes stuff happen. Yes. Um, you know, spell casting is not like you don't need chemicals to do it. Uh, you just kind of do a combination of motions with your hands and uh, words with your mouth and stuff in your brain. Um, and then you pull down the marks, which are these like little conduits into specific actions yeah. um, that together make a spell. And we do get to see, especially in Lyriel as Lyriel learns more advanced magic, um, to, to do stuff like break into rooms she's not supposed to go into um and eventually to summon a friend yes um she yes. has to do really advanced spell casting uh but it, it, this is all i realize we kind of started out with the to me the defining aspect of these books which is that death is a river yeah um and the charter is like plunking yourself down in the middle of the mm-hmm. river and being like no i will not move yeah. and uh and using literal stones to like stake your claim and so you know we, we start out again very early on seeing save go into death and that is what I remember and what I describe the most when I describe these books to people is that death is running it is flowing it's pulling us along it is always there it is always you know there's a destination and we know that eventually we are all going toward it yeah. uh, and that is just such an image especially that Sabriel can walk in and out of it um, and when you go into death you the temptation is to be like swept along with it because the natural state of things is like toward entropy toward death like, like to pull you right. away right. Um, and all of humanity Again, like humanity is is staking a claim and sitting yourself down and saying like, no, I will not, you know, fall prey to like our most base instincts. Uh, and it's it's a little more complex than that, a little more beautiful. You know, the, the tagline of Golden Hand, which is the um, one of the more recent uh, books in the series is everything and everyone has a time to die and that is like the the point like the the abhorson is there to to sort of enforce that binary between life and and death.
0: Yeah, which is really funny because and and they deal with this they deal with this in the book as well, but the idea of being a necromancer again, that's something that carries a very negative connotation right. in in our current society, like that's someone who can raise the dead, but the abhorson is a special kind of necromancer who keeps the dead dead. And Like you were saying earlier, like, we're thrown into this book immediately with this young girl, basically, whose job it is to keep the dead at bay. And it's like, holy smokes, that's high stakes, like, right from the start. And, yeah, she's, like, incredibly, unthinkably brave to just accept that that is what she has to do because they don't know where her father is and so she has to do it. And it's just like... Whew.
1: Yeah, it's not even her job yet. No. She is like finishing school and like hanging out and being a prefect, you know, and just like chilling. Um, and she's gonna start her adult job, you know, when when she gets home, presumably. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, duty calls, and there's a lot in this book about like what our what the point is, and you know, do you do you accept the the duty that's handed to you by your parents, by your bloodline, by your circumstances, um, and what do you do if you don't fit that? But Sabriel is like she fits it. And she is ready to take up the mantle when it is like thrust upon her. She is like my my one note that I started out my like a little note document with yeah. is that Sabriel is a not grown woman dealing with a grown woman's problems. For sure. She deals with a dead rabbit in the first chapter, which is like oh, sad God, as a kid. Yes, that's such um, a, ugh. and then a dead body before page yeah. 70. Yeah. Like really serious stuff. But Sabriel's um attitude is very much like Don't know if I'm going to do it perfectly, but I'm going to do it because I'm the one that's here. Uh, And that, to me, um, part of becoming an adult that I didn't really realize when I was a kid is, you know, is just carrying on. Um, And it's not like, wow, I don't want to kind of carrying on. But like awful shit happens to people every day, you know, or things are serious in your life that are going on that you can't control, that you can't make better. and. Also there is like the the joys and sorrows and necessities of daily life and there's a lot of joy in that like I love kind of all the tasks of keeping my household running you know and like the routine of doing my laundry and you know just just those little things that um that are involved in maintaining a life but that's also not always fun so i don't know like that's that's kind of the the lens that i brought to it reading it now at at 26 versus um when i first did
0: yeah absolutely i guess the the closest thing that i had Though I wasn't, I wasn't super young when I saw it for the first time. But I feel like watching Buffy is kind of a similar thing. Like, yeah, like Buffy, absolutely, like Buffy is a very similar role to uh, Sabriel. To to yeah, like being the Slayer is kind of like being the Abhorsen. You're you're literally keeping you making sure that the dead stay dead, essentially. And to have to do that, you know, when you're like fifteen, sixteen years old, is incredible and frightening and and something that like is like you were saying like fun to fantasize about uh, to a certain extent like being the chosen one and like having that kind of power but like yeah if if push came to shove like i think i'd be happier to just be here in my routine And you know, have my cats, and uh, hope they don't turn into free magic spirits. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But But, I don't know. Like we, we get multiple examples of this in the series. You know, like we again, the the protagonist we start with is someone who accepts her duty. Mm -hmm. Um, And if there was like a a network comedy about Sabriel, like going to community college and (laughs) uh, dealing with the dead, I would hundred percent watch it. But instead, the book is like two weeks long. You know, and we see her kind of at a crisis point necessarily. Right. Um. But there are, there's a character in Lirial who was born into a destiny that they did not want, and they do not fit in, and they have to figure out how to deal with it. Yes. Um, same with Clariel, uh, forced into a role that she didn't ask for and doesn't want to do, and we see how she deals with that. So um, to me, like, again, reading this, this is ostensibly a YA novel, and... There are there are so many moments in here that that treat like learning and youth with dignity Mm, um, mm -hmm. and that show you lots of lots of ways to cope with things that are really big. Yeah. Um, So like in Sabriel, you know, she summons the spirit of her deceased mother in death. Um, and she needs to ask her a question that's very timely, but also kind of mentions that she first summoned her mom when she got her first period and she didn't oh, have I anyone to explain that. it to her. And like who among us hasn't needed divine guidance yeah. when our bodies rebel? Right. Um, right? Lirial talks about suicide. Yeah. Um, and it's a serious for real, but not glorifying mention of suicide in a YA fantasy book from the early aughts. Like I needed that as a kid. It does so very
0: thoughtfully, I think you know like yeah. not not casually and not just using it as a device i i i really liked how how nicks approached that and handled that and handled her depression yeah. kind of at the beginning of the book
1: and and there's just so much about like the the mundane i mean this is what literature is right like it tells a story but it also talks about the human experience and i love magic and i love fantasy and i love adventure and these are all really really good in these books um but there is also like this just I don't know how to even how to like summarize it, but like a fundamental uh empathy for human beings and and the the fates that we're born into.
0: I think that's a that's a really good way to put it. Absolutely. But one last little wine thing that I thought of in kind of like this charter versus free magic dialectic here. Oh yeah. There's there's sort of I see a sort of equivalency in in the wine world right now, there's all this hype about quote unquote natural wines, which Uh oh, sounds fake. Yeah a little bit, a little bit. It's not, it's not that it's fake. It's that it doesn't really mean anything. Hey there, future Emma again. I just wanted to share here that I love that Amanda used the word fake here to describe natural wines. If you want to learn more about the whole natural wine fad, check out this interview between Master Sommelier Bobby Stuckey and Jordan Salcito. There's a link in the show notes. You'll see what I'm talking about. To say that a wine is natural, like, it doesn't mean anything.
1: I don't know. It grew in dirt? What, yeah, like? yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> like, to that extent, all wine is natural. You know, what they're trying to say is that I heard someone say, like, oh, the legal definition is that there has to be, then like, 10 parts or less per million added sulfites. or I, I forget the exact number. I was like, okay. But my... Like my boss, who's a master psalm, he's like, this is this is not a real thing. But, you know, in theory, natural wine sounds like a good thing, just like free magic sounds like a good thing. Mm. But yeah. in a similar way, like, sure, there are wines that are, quote unquote, natural, like basically like limited intervention, like natural yeasts, uh, low sure. or no added sulfites, et cetera, et cetera. Like things like that, that make it more, quote unquote, natural than others. But it's 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 hard to, like, codify exactly what that means. And I think there are wines that are made like that that are really, really good and wines that I just like they taste terrible. And, you know, you want a certain amount of rules and science, which I think kind of being like the charter in winemaking in order for the wine to like taste good and be able to last for a long time because right. if you're if you're not adding the whole sulfite thing, like lots of people say, "Oh, I get a headache from wine. It's because of the sulfites." my My line is there's more sulfites in dried fruit in orange juice. <laughs> like like it's really probably not sulfites. That bothers people.
1: I really love the web series. It's alive from Bon Appetit. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it's this chef um, who does fermented products. Uh-huh. So he'll teach you how to make like kimchi and miso awesome. and uh, kombucha and all kinds of things that deal with fermentation. Yeah. Um, and so I I love it a lot because it's like all food is death, man. Yeah. Like <laughs> All food is is a continuum from like is currently alive and breathing slash planted into the ground to you know is wine that's 85 years old and has been like aged and is all the better for it um and like everything's a continuum uh if you wanted to eat like the most natural wine you could like crunch a grape seed maybe you know but like everything else is is a conversation and it's a continuum um and we get to choose what's important to us we get to choose where we want and and like to kind of dance along that spectrum in the stuff that we consume that we make um, and and in life and I don't know like that at the end of the day if if I'm gonna think about one thing or scene or image from Sabriel um, it's really that image of death as a river yes and different kinds of water too like the first one is a waterfall the second mm-hmm. one is a whirlpool mm-hmm. the third one is like a big flat. Kind of plane of water that are actually really dangerous. There's like a vertical river that runs up and down. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's just so it's so much like the it, it is the opposite of you know you close your eyes and there's nothing or you close your eyes and it's the the world like it was but better. Uh, it, it's just it's so much more interesting. It's a process. There are steps you can go backward and forward. And um, I was lucky enough not to deal with you know profound grief as a kid, but I imagine that for anyone dealing with loss, um, you know, regardless of your age and regardless of the the particular kind um that this would be really valuable because this this whole book is about you know life death negotiating that balance going backward and forward and figuring out you know how to live and and how to die in peace
0: yeah and and so I would say yes this sounds kind of lame because I feel like this is an overarching theme of a lot of novels and and etc oh I've got I've got my little mogget here. My little, Aww. my little queen. She's my studio manager, so she's just checking in. Um, so cute. Yeah, she actually is sound dampening because she's so furry. Yeah, exactly. She's so fluffy. Um, and um, but but I do think that one of the overarching themes is balance, and you know, like whether it's between life and death, free magic, charter magic, the old kingdom and Celestia, family. You know, there's. I'm not saying that's like the the main theme of the book or anything, but I do sure. see that. And I love the kind of balance between the unfettered magic and the very, very strict magic and kind of the way they interact. And there are certain characters that you see in the book that embody that. And and then that that just makes me think of that's one of the first rules of wine is that balance is is the most important Mm -hmm. thing to to a great wine is, you know. You you don't want it to be too sweet, you don't want it to be too bitter, you don't want it to be too high in alcohol, you don't want it to be too acidic. So I see that. And and those who are expert craftsmen in or craftswomen or craftspeople in wine know know how to make that balance. And I think that Garth Nix really conveys that expertly. That's really
1: lovely. Uh, oh, I, I love it. And I love too that we get to see characters from like thirteen to you know, their sort of late 40s yeah, um, and like see their interior lives. And like, again, like as a youngish woman, you know, like negotiating adolescence originally and now, you know, young adulthood, yeah, um, it, it's easy for me to look ahead and be like, the rest of life is whatever, you know, and like this is this is the time and to listen to that kind of pop culture narrative. But I, I love that we get to see, you know, complex, interesting, like ever evolving, vibrant lives at various ages. uh, And there's also just a great marriage that we get to see depicted in Liriel and Abhorsen, which i really appreciate yes um with a a super two two people who are not the same uh but who make it work and have their own lives and missions um which i i appreciate as a you know person who intends to be a a a working spouse and partner um and parent
0: as someone who just recently got married um there you go this uh marriage that you're speaking of it is very much like yeah those are uh, marriage, goals. marriage goals. Hashtag. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I, yeah, I, who can't use a little balance these days? Absolutely. Um. So I, I love that observation. And um. yeah, I, I hope that those listening give these books a shot. Yes. I hope that I am, uh, I am doing my best to evangelize for them in the world. They're so worth reading. So let us know your thoughts. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what people think.
0: Yes, please do. Please share um at pairing podcast. And if you're, if you're reading the books for the first time or listening to the them. Let me know what you think of Tim Curry as as the narrator. Live tweet and like every live chapter. Live tweet every chapter. This is the
1: amount of information I want on your Sabriel experience.
0: Absolutely. So, Amanda, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your amazing thoughts on these books. Is there anything that you would like to plug.
1: Uh, My absolute pleasure. This is the most that I've been able to talk about these books at a stretch, and I so appreciate it. Um, So I am on Twitter at She's So Mickey. uh, And definitely, like I said, tell me every minute detail of your Old Kingdom experience. Um, I'm also a full-time podcaster uh, now. So I I made a company called Multitude, uh, and it is all about uh, balance and containing worlds and uh, doing all kinds of things as a person, as podcasters, as podcast consultants. So you can learn about the shows that we make and the services that we provide. We also make a whole lot of resources for anyone who is like a creative person online trying to make a living at Multitude.Productions.
0: Amanda is amazing and she truly is uh, my spirit guide in, in the podcast world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, listen to Spirits, listen, subscribe to Spirits, Waystation, join the party. They're all incredible. They give me so much joy every every time every week that they come out
1: thank you and there's a good sort of like river of death and join the party which is our uh, storytelling and role-playing podcast where we play dungeons and dragons i am a lesbian skater teen assassin elf um and there is a, a very good deathy type river in one of our story arcs that i think y'all yes would enjoy. and
0: you also have a companion not entirely like one of lyriel's companions but sort of i like, do sort of like i do yes. have a little acolyte yes and she is very good well, Amanda, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. We'll have to we'll have to find another time to talk more about this because I could talk more about these books for
1: We must do a follow-up for Clariel and Golden uh, yes, Hand. Yes, once I have read yes. them,
0: I will I will be in touch and we will make episode
1: 2. Spoiler cast, episode 2, Old Kingdom. Love it.
0: Thank you so much. My pleasure. Pairing was created, produced hosted and edited by Emma Scherzarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please check out the show notes. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, read, drink, and be merry.